you have your Bibles, open up with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Uh, John 15, 1 through 7. 1 through 17, I'm sorry. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, open up to page 1242, the Pew Bible, and you can follow along there. John 15, 1 through 17. As you're opening there, I want to just call your attention to the fact that uh, I have friends, and they're here. And so I praise the Lord for that. I, uh, uh, some of you have worried about that for a while. And so uh, my good friend Richard Pettyjohn's a pastor at Tammany View Baptist Church in, in Lewiston, Idaho. And many of you will remember that I've been there to preach a couple of times. And two of his church members, John and Tim, are here with him as well today. Uh, they've been on a religious pilgrimage to Tuscaloosa this weekend and decided to swing by here on, on the way and are here this morning to worship with us. And so got to meet these brothers, and I think it was only religious for the preacher. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, we uh, praise the Lord to have you guys here and uh, thankful, thankful for your friendship and thankful on your trip, your weekend away, that you chose to come worship the Lord here with us at First Baptist Church. If you have your Bibles open, go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. John writes to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning in verse 1, I am, you note that, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches, and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. 
Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, this morning, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive your word, God, and we pray that we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last summer, a man named Larry Nasser, who is the team doctor for the USA Gymnastics team, was convicted of one of the most heinous crimes we can conceive of here in our culture and world, and it was the sin of multiple counts of child molestation. That is, he'd been using his position as a doctor to spend his entire career taking advantage of very young women in medical context, taking advantage of them and violating them, abusing them sexually. Some some believe, and he was at least accused by over 250 victims of these crimes. The first woman to come forward is a lawyer in Louisville, Kentucky. She had been abused by Nasser beginning at 15 years old. As a young gymnast, she would go, and this man had taken advantage of the trust of the families, the trust of the victims, and began to abuse her at 15 years old. But Rachel Denhollander also happens to be a Christian. She also happens to be a Christian. I want you to hear this morning, I'm going to read to you some of what Rachel Denhollander said to Larry Nasser during her impact testimony at his trial. He's in the room and she was able to address him as many of the other victims had been able to do as they prepared for sentencing. I want you to hear what Rachel had to say. I want you to hear what the gospel is in her own words. Listen to what she had to say. She says to Nasser, In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom, and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed as of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up, gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love it this way. You see, the Bible you carry speaks of a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. What can allow someone to demonstrate grace and mercy and even love to someone who had been so heinous, so evil, so wicked. This has been one of the more prominent situations that a Christian has found themselves in publicly in the last several years. And in my opinion, Rachel handled that as well as anyone could handle that as a believer in the spotlight. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says, if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. If we abide in Him, 
we will bear much fruit. What allows us to love? What allows us to forgive? What allows us to show grace? It's as simple as this, abiding in Christ, making our dwelling in Christ and allowing Him to make His dwelling in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you this morning four truths about abiding in Christ. Four truths about abiding in Christ. The illustration, the picture, the portrait that Jesus chooses to use here to demonstrate what it means to abide in Him is that He is the vine and we are the branches. What an enduring and beautiful picture that is for Christians across all ages and in all times and in all places. What a beautiful portrait it is to consider that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And through that relationship, as we are totally dependent on Him, He abides in us and we abide in Him. Four truths this morning about abiding in Jesus. Here's the first. Here's the first. Abiding in Jesus is essential. Abiding in Jesus is essential. This is not something we really have a choice over. As Christians, we must abide in Jesus. Let me just show you a few reasons why we must abide in Jesus. First, abiding in Jesus is essential because Jesus is the true vine. Abiding in Jesus is essential because Jesus is the true Vine. Now you'll notice here in this passage the language is interesting. Jesus doesn't just say, I am a vine, and God, my Father, is the vine dresser. He says, I am the true vine. So that's different than just saying here he's simply speaking in a parable or using a metaphor. I think that gives us a, an indication that Jesus is pointing to something deeper and more true. And if we go back and read through the Old Testament, we start to see then that so often Israel is described as the vineyard of God or the vine of God. God as the vine dresser. Yet every time Israel is talked about as the vine, it's almost always in negative terms. Right? It's almost always as a vine that is not bearing fruit. Let me give you one example from the 80th Psalm. Let's read several verses here, 8 through 18. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Right? It's a picture then of the settlement period of Israel. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. And the mountains were covered with its shade and the mighty cedars with its branches. And it sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls? The psalmist asks. So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it. And all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, Look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine. This vine that was once healthy is now ravaged. The stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself, they have burned it with fire, they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But listen to what he says. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the what? The son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life. We will call upon your name. What is Jesus saying here when he calls himself the true vine? What Jesus is saying is, I am the fulfillment of the promises of God made to our forefathers in the Old Testament. I am 
become the man of God's right hand who is restoring Israel. Jesus is the true Israel. So often people ask whether or not Jesus or the church has replaced Israel. And I, I don't really even like the language of replacement because the point is that all along from before the foundation of the world, every promise that God made was always intended to find its yes and amen in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not the replacement of Israel. Jesus is Israel. He is the true vine. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt, I brought out this vine over and over and over again. The New Testament authors want us to see that all that God was trying to do through Israel, all along, he was planning to fulfill fulfill all of those things through Jesus Christ. Jesus is making clear that he is the true vine and that to be connected to God, one must be connected to him. There is no other way through. You cannot go through Moses. Moses spoke of him. You cannot go through Abraham. He is the seed of Abraham. You cannot go through Adam. He is the one who would crush the head of the serpent. You must go through Jesus essential because Jesus is the true vine but it's also essential because we have great need of pruning notice what the Lord says in verse 2 he says that those that bear fruit the father prunes now we'll talk a little bit in a minute about those that are not bearing fruit at all but he says those who bear fruit the father prunes Dead branches get tossed away. Living branches get pruned. I think the author of Hebrews was echoing what Jesus had to say here when he said, God disciplines those he loves. Oh, one of the most scary and encouraging verses in all of the Bible. One of the most difficult and wonderful truths in all of the Scripture. Isn't it ironic, Christians, That at the times where we sense God to be the farthest away in trials and tribulations and difficulties, biblically speaking, scripturally speaking, those are the times that are the clearest biblical evidence of God's presence. That when we are going through a trial, we so often say, God, why have you abandoned me? Why don't you love me? Why don't you care about me? But Jesus says, those who bear fruit, God prunes. He disciplines those he loves. Trials are not signs of the absence of God. Trials are the signs of the presence of God. And what what is God doing then through these trials? He is pruning back, even though we've borne fruit, he is pruning back so that we would bear more fruit. It's essential to abide in Jesus because apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Verses 4 and 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What enlivening, what quickening power do we have in ourselves? What sanctifying power do we have in ourselves? What justifying power do we have in ourselves? What cleansing power do we have in ourselves you'll notice that Jesus doesn't say that apart from me you can do less apart from me you can do a little so Jesus says apart from me you can do nothing we do not have power within ourselves we are like a branch that once it's been cut off from the tree once it's been broken off from the vine there is no longer life in it There's no longer life in it. Apart from Jesus, we can do 
nothing. Abiding in Jesus produces, is essential, but second of all, abiding in Jesus produces fruit. Abiding in Jesus produces fruit. I've never met a Christian who didn't want to be more like Christ. But so often, what we are trying to do, what we are attempting to do, is become more like Jesus in the power of ourselves, in the power of the flesh. We're trying to We're trying to become more like Jesus on our own. But you see, abiding in Jesus produces fruit. The first sort of fruit that Jesus talks about that's produced when we abide in Him is the fruit of productive prayer. The fruit of productive prayer. You'll see this idea in verse 16, but let's focus in here on verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. One night we were uh, putting our kids to bed, and Emma Watts got to pray, and this was her prayer. She said, Lord, I pray that you will do whatever I say. Amen. And so often, that's how we interpret this verse. right? The Matt Alexander commentary on John interprets this verse this way. I like the idea of it, right? Anything I ask... As long as I throw Jesus in there, God will do. Right? But is that really what's being said? No. The key thought here is that abiding in Christ, right? Being one with the branch, I mean, one with the vine, being a branch that's really receiving its life and sustenance from Christ produces in our hearts and our lives the sort of desires that when we pray for them, Jesus gladly answers them. So what I want you to think about is this is a lot less about the glory of your life. That's where we like to go to, right? Constantly having to just talk my kids out of just praying for more stuff. But they, they, they get that from me. We're all like that. That's what we want to pray for. God, give me more blessings. God, give me more things. God, give me this. God, give me that. Now, that's not to say that we ought not to ask the Lord. He says, give us this day, our daily bread. We ought to ask God for provision. But at the same time, the sort of prayer here is less focused on us and more focused on God's glory. It's more focused on glorifying Jesus and the Father. You see, abiding in Christ produces a genuine connection and relationship with God through Christ that allows us then to pray with authentic faith and our heart begins to match up with the heart of God in such a way that as we pray, we're actually praying the heart of God. That's why we ought to pray the Scriptures. It's why we ought to be focused on what the Spirit is leading us to do for the glory of Christ and not just for our own personal lives and so abiding in jesus produces the fruit of productive prayer but it also produces the fruit of love driven works i want to just unpack for you really quickly verses 8 through 10 you see this idea in 14 and 15 as well verses 8 through 10 say this by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is the primary thing that Jesus is talking about here is the fruit of love-driven spiritual works. You see, the sure love and the confident friendship of Jesus frees us up to live authentically God-glorifying lives of holiness 
and good works. Let me put it like this. So often what we want to do is we want to think that what we have to do is do our best to please Jesus. That we have to produce works to prove to Jesus that we're good. But what the gospel says and what Jesus is saying is that the love that he's shown us, the love that the Father has lavished on us through Jesus frees us up from producing fruit to make God love us because we know God already loves us through Christ. And so it frees us up from having a, 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 a produce, 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 work, work, work mentality. And it frees us up to produce fruit from grace. Right? It, it frees us up for, to let love lead us to good works. See, so often we want good works to lead us to love, thinking that, that we're trying to earn God's favor. But Jesus has freed us from that by dying on the cross for our sins, and he frees us up to live good works unto God through, by, and for his grace and his glory. Third of all, abiding in Jesus produces joy. Abiding in Jesus produces joy. Joy. I love verse 11. I want you to hear it. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What I'd, what I'd give to be able to talk all day about the joy of God. About the fact that God is joyful. We so often see God as a harsh headmaster, but instead we may, must recognize that God is joyful and He takes pure joy in Himself. He takes joy in the Son. For the Father takes joy in the Son and the Son takes joy in the Spirit. And there's a mutual relationship of all of the Godhead of overflowing, pure, abundant joy. And the Bible says that if we abide in Christ, that His joy is in us. That is, Jesus is taking joy in us as we we abide in him and so Jesus's joy in us produces our joy in him see he 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 takes joy in us and therefore that translates into us taking joy in him John Piper said it like this God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him brothers and sisters don't believe for a moment that abiding in Christ means living a dull and a sad life. Jesus is giving us joy. You see, God doesn't just weed out our sin. He plants something beautiful. God doesn't just refuse to let us continue in our idolatry. Instead, he promises real satisfaction. God doesn't just tell us and command us to stop drinking from broken cisterns. He gives us the water that makes us never thirst again, John 7. Jesus doesn't just tell us to stop feasting on the sins of the world. He gives us his son, the very bread of life, to satisfy us forever. He gives us joy. Abiding in Jesus produces joy. <clears throat> but finally, abiding in Jesus produces love. Abiding in Jesus produces love. Notice what the Bible says, verses 12, 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. The love that Jesus has for us, 
leads us to love others. And any time I've ever looked at my life and seen a lack of love there, it's almost always because I've, I'm at a place in my life where I've become so prideful that I'm forgetting how much love Jesus has for me. You see, what you owe God is infinitely more than what anyone in this world owes you. Eventually, the branches of the vine will love like He loves. And oh, how the love of God's people makes the love of Jesus real to us. Think about that for a moment. Think about how the love of God's people in our lives makes the love of Jesus real to us. Oh, but think how often a lack of love among God's people has dulled the love of God to people who desperately need it. Oh, how often uh, the hatred of people who claim the name of Christ Oh, how often the animosity and the genuine lack of love among people who claim the name of Christ have driven people away from the faith, have driven people away from the church. Oh, how sweet the love of the people of God is. I'll tell you as a pastor, you all know this, I've been on the receiving end of both. On the receiving end of both. I've had days as a pastor where I've thought, my goodness, if... If this is true, surely people's lives wouldn't look like this. And I've had days where I've thought, what? The people of this church are the aroma of God to me. And I'll confess to you that oftentimes that's happened on the same day. Where someone who for whatever reason or another is angry and bitter and hateful, so often on the very same day, Jesus Christ will remind me why I love His church and that He loves me through one of the sweet saints of God. I'll confess to you, this was my first full-time church here at First Baptist Church of Gadsden. You guys like the joke, and I do too, that y'all are doing a really good job of growing me up as a pastor. I'm being raised here, right? And I can't for a moment say anything but that the love of the, God, of the people of God have kept me a joyful minister of the gospel. I cannot begin to tell you how many friends I have who are pastors, who have wives, who have family members, who have children, who see dad get beat up on, and see dad unloved, and see dad mistreated, and for them it, it makes them want to reject the gospel. For us, it's the opposite. For us, it's the opposite. The love of the people of God in so many days and so many hours has sustained us in the work of the ministry. I, I say all this bit of personal testimony and I go over my typical time limit just to tell you this. I think it's so important for you to know that I'm not the only one in this church that needs your love. Someone somewhere every day needs to know that Jesus loves them because someone in the church loves them. Every day, people need to know. We need to know that they're abiding in Christ. They need to see the love of God made manifest. They need to see a messenger of the Lord. And it just might be you. Abide in Him. 
Abide in me, Jesus says. Abide in me as I produce in you that which you cannot produce in yourself. We want to see a Holy Spirit-driven, a Christ-abiding revolution of love happen in our churches. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. If we want to see a great commission resurgence happen in our churches, first we have to see a great commandment resurgence, resurgence happen in our churches. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest evangelistic tool that Jesus has given his church, it came from his own mouth, they will know that you are my disciples, by the what? By the love you have for one another. For one another. For one another. Abiding in Jesus produces love in our lives. And if we ever find ourselves in a place where we're loveless, by and large, where we're joyless, by and large, and where we're fruitless, by and large, in our lives, perhaps we need to ask whether or not the branch is connected to the vine. Because what the Lord tells us is that those who are not connected are gathered up and cast into the fire only way to heaven, the only way to know God, the only way to know the Father, the only way to have a real relationship with God is through Jesus and through His grace. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, I, my prayer for you today, my prayer for you today is that you would turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God through faith in Jesus. And I believe He will save you if you'll put your faith in Him today. And second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I, I've simply not been living the life I should live. I, I want you to know this altar is open for you today. I'd be happy to pray with you or you can pray here. You can grab a friend and pray. This altar is open. Finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to worship you together in spirit and in truth. And God, we pray that you would open our hearts today. God, that we would be changed, that we would leave here different. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.